Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. My guest on today's episode of the podcast is none other than Ed Sang. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Um, you know, it's, it's great to follow your work. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan, and, and it's also super cool to see your team growing, and I'm happy to be uh, a small part of it. Thanks, man. Yeah, you've, you know what? Looking back, actually last night, I was, I was going over the questions that were submitted for today's show, which are excellent, just perfect representation, I feel like, of what tennis players need to hear from you, what they need to work on, what they need to improve when it comes to performing well during competition. And I was just kind of scrolling back through the archives of the podcast, and you've been on it a, a couple of times. And it just kind of made me pause and kind of think about how much content we've done over the years. And so definitely want to thank you as well for, for all your support and the, the different ways that you've created valuable resources and coaching with, with me and now the, the team that's, that's continuing to grow over here. So, so thanks for being involved with it. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. And, you know, you ask coaches and athletes and parents how important is the mental game what percentage of the game is mental and you'll get anywhere from 70 to you know 99 percent <laughs> um so us creating this content excites me because you know if, if it's 70 to 99 percent of the game that means we should be working on it 70 to 99 percent of the game and you know that athletes aren't doing that <laughs> No, definitely not. Well, just to give everybody some quick context on Ed before we dive into the questions, and Ed's actually going to give us a quick primer on his principles as well before we get to the questions. But Ed, if you haven't heard him on previous episodes of the podcast, he's a best-selling author. Uh, he's a mental performance consultant. He's been featured in as a, a TEDx speaker, also as a coach in the Rio uh, Olympic Games. And every year he's featured in the the U.S. Open bookstore at, uh, at the U.S. Open. Uh, so, Ed, you've you've done a lot of amazing work. Really happy to have you here. Can you please walk us through just a couple minutes of what what separates you from the norm or kind of the traditional approach to to mental toughness? And what are maybe some of your top principles? Just to give us some context before we dive into the questions. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, and, and that's why I'm so excited about this. And I don't think that I'm better than anyone else. I just think that I have a different uh, approach. I have a different foundation from which I operate. And I think mm -hmm. for me, you know, I used to teach those traditional approaches, affirmations, routines, rituals, positive thinking, goal setting. And I basically spent my career researching the best strategies on mental toughness. And what I found is that the best strategy is no strategy. So if you guys that are listening, if you think back on a peak performance that you've had, a great match, uh, an in-the-zone experience, I want you to ask yourself right now, how did you do it? How did you get into that zone? And I guarantee you, you're going to be like this. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> right. So, so the point is when we're at our best, when we're in that zone, we didn't do anything. We didn't use a strategy or technique to get there. So if we didn't use a strategy or technique or routine or ritual to play great and feel great, why the heck should we 
try those things when we're not at our best. It doesn't make sense, right? If, if anything, trying those techniques will hold us back because thinking about applying a technique is thinking. And you know we're at our best when we're just playing. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, I hear Ian giggling because he knows. He knows <laughs> that this totally makes sense and he knows that he's tried those things. I know I have, right? Absolutely. And I have so many athletes come to me and they say, Ed, you're, you're our last hope. You know, we've read, read every sports psych book. We went to all the top sports psych people. It, you know, I'm ready to quit. My athletes, my child's ready to quit the game. You're our last hope, you know? And, and you know, my, of course, I'm human. So my first thought is, oh, there's pressure. <laughs> but then I'm like, you know what? Mm. Let's do this because, you know, I can't guarantee results, but I got a pretty good idea that, you know, I can help anyone. So basically the difference between my approach and what I used to teach the traditional stuff is that I just teach people how their minds work. I just teach people where their experience comes from. So to give you an an example, most people in the world, sports and any other field, they operate from the outside in. So they believe that outside factors can affect how they feel on the inside. For example, the weather, right? Oh man, this winter sucked. Oh my, mo- oh it's snowing again, right? Oh, it's depressing, <laughs> right? I know you've heard it all, especially where you are. <laughs> um, or other people say, oh, you know, I just if I just had more money, you know, I, I would be happier. Then I could start my own, you know, business. You know, other people say, oh, if I just had the perfect mate, then I'd be, you know, you know, I, I'd feel better. And then other people might say, oh, my children were just behaving. I would, you know, be happier at home, right? So we, make a, we can make a long, long list. Sure. So that's 99.9% of the world. And so if you listening um, can relate to those or, or it sounds like you, don't worry. <laughs> it's basically virtually everybody. But here's the good news for everyone listening. That's not how it works, right? We actually operate from the inside out. And what I mean by that is what we think we feel what we think creates the experience that we have in the moment. So from a low state of mind, my car's a clunker from a high state of mind, that same car, the classic, they don't make them like they used to, right? Low state of mind. Oh, my, my kids are driving me crazy. High state of mind. You know what? I'm lucky to have kids. I know people who have been trying to have kids and they can't, you know, or they have, have kids that are sick, you know, low state of mind. Oh man, it's raining today. High state of mind, man, there's going to be some beautiful flowers soon, <laughs> right? So any situation in life, I don't care what it is, can be seen from an infinite number of directions, right? Perspectives. How about a quick tennis uh, example? Low state of mind versus high state of mind. Uh, do you have, have gotcha. one off the top of your head? Yep, yep. Um, so imagine you're in a low state of mind and... You know, you're, you're frustrated, you're playing a match and you hit a ball, looks like it's on the baseline and your opponent says, nope, that was out, <laughs> you know, from that low state of mind. How would you react, Ian, or the old Ian? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the old Ian would definitely be uh, indignant and offended and angry immediately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, How dare mm-hmm. they? And, and that's, that's putting it nicely, right? <laughs> um, Probably, yeah. And so, you know, so, so some people, you know, might yell, you know, confront their opponent. Um, sure. Some people just might, you know, crawl in, in a shell or break their racket, whatever it may be. So it seems like at face value, it's the line call or the opponent or missing the shot. Okay. One of those external things. Well, Let's take a different scenario. 
you're in the zone. You're feeling great. You're confident. You hit a ball, looks like it's on the baseline, and they call it out. How do you react, Ian? I'm going to make it next time. Or Yeah, it's not man, a big deal. They got yeah, they got lucky on that one. I'm going to I'm going to kill yeah. the next one. <laughs> yeah, or oh man, they they're so insecure. They think they need to cheat to beat me. Huh? Mm, sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's proof that it's never ever ever the external circumstance or situation. It's always always 100% our internal thinking in the moment. But here's the thing. It's okay if we have low thinking in the moment because I've been with world champions, Grand Slam winners, Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover models. If they lack confidence sometimes, which they all do, they've admitted it to me, then we're all going to because we're human. We're not robots. Now, the good news is when we feel low, we don't have to do anything to get back high and in that zone because our true nature is that zone. It's kind of like holding a tennis ball underwater in a pool. If we let go, it naturally floats up. So if we let go of our ridiculous, insecure, negative thinking when we're competing, we naturally go back up to that zone in the moment, that flow. And that's good news. Therefore, there's no need to apply a strategy or technique. Applying a strategy or technique is just going to hold that tennis ball underwater longer. Because we're thinking about not thinking. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Thinking about not thinking is the same thing as thinking about, you know, how bad your drop shot was that you missed four games ago. Mm, Sure. Or the fact that you haven't won a match in weeks. It doesn't matter what you're thinking. If it doesn't apply to what you're doing in that moment, it's a distraction and it's going to hurt your performance. Absolutely. So uh, what do you say we get to some questions? Because we've got a whole bunch that that were submitted on Facebook by uh, our students online. Some really, really good ones. Uh, What do you say we dive into a couple? Let's do it. And the first one I want to pick, for me, I, I thought was a perfect illustration of high state of mind versus low state of mind. Uh, I'll tell you why, but I'll read through it uh, really quickly. This is from Barat. He wrote and said, I have a starting problem. I don't know why. I'm nervous when the match starts so much that I can feel the blood rushing through my veins. This results in a loss of power and concentration during the first three games. If I'm starting the first set by serving, I'm nervous. If I hold my serve, then I'm okay. But if not, then the nervousness continues. Hence, I prefer giving the serve to the other player. But even then, uh, that has some downsides. Any advice? So for me, as I read through that, uh, that first phrase, or that second sentence actually, where he says, I can feel the blood rushing through my veins. Like he, Barat is viewing that as like uh, a problem. Like, oh no. And I read that and I'm like, yes, I miss competition. Like I miss being in that (laughs) environment. Uh, So I thought that was kind of a perfect uh, illustration of high state of mind versus low state of mind. What do you think about Barat's uh, description? Well, I I started feeling anxious by listening to that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know, and and I'm not even on the court right now, but that's Mm. the point, right? We feel what we think. So I felt anxious just now and I'm you know, I'm, I'm in a room. I'm not even, you know, on a court competing. So, so his name is Barat. Yes. So Barat basically is talking about what I said earlier, right? He's blaming the circumstance on how he's feeling, right? That anxiety is coming from the early part of the match or, you know, whether he loses serve or, or not. Right. So the more, here's a great example. I had someone call me up recently and with, with a very similar situation. They said, I'm just a slow starter. 
<laughs> and and she's like, you know, I'm a slow starter. Last year I had a great season. Now this year I'm just a slow starter. And I knew it was a mental thing, sure. right? So this is what I said to her. I said, you know, one of the worst things we can do is label ourselves as a blank slow mm-hmm. starter, someone who can't play beat a pusher, someone who can't, you know, win so again, someone who's ranked higher than them, someone who can't beat someone who is ranked lower than them, right? So when we label ourselves as such, it's almost like we're creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. We find ways sure. to confirm it. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm a slow starter. And then you have a slow start. See, I told you, you know, <laughs> or Just because if we, you've had, sl- or if you go out and you don't yeah. have the, the slow start, you're worried like, oh yeah. man, what, what's happening here? This isn't the way I'm supposed yeah, to be playing. It's a fluke. <laughs> yeah, it's right, a fluke, yeah. you know, and, and some people, you know, like if, if people feel like they're, you know, uh, anxiety ridden, they, when they laugh at something, it's kind of like a fluke and they let it go. And then they go back to, that's not how, how I really am, you know? So it's almost like a broken record and they're living in that world. So sure, sure. for Barad, you know, yes, join the club. You know, I, I know a lot of people, a lot of players who feel that anxiety in the beginning of a match, but I guarantee you, you haven't felt anxious, you know, every single time at the beginning of a match. And why is that? Because those times you were just playing. You're in a different mindset. So I think the more you can realize that every feeling we have is coming from what we're thinking and what we're thinking is not truth, but thinking feels real. That's why dreams feel real, right? So if, was, if Ian had a dream tonight... I to, to use that <laughs> illustration. Yeah, I think it's a perfect one. If Ian has a dream tonight and in his dream I said, you are the worst podcaster. Your strokes <laughs> in tennis are so ugly I don't like your hairstyle, your color selection and your outfits is terrible. You know, would, would Ian uh, text me tomorrow morning and say, Ed, that was really rude. We should uh, do a call, a conference call and, and, you know, talk it out. No, he wouldn't do that because he knows it didn't happen. It was a dream. But I guarantee you, he would wake up mad at me. <laughs> so, so thinking feels real, right? Even if it's ridiculous and untrue, right? So... Some people have nightmares, but some people have daymares. They're awake, they're on the court, and they scare themselves. And that's mm. why people get, they hold themselves back, right? They feel that blood rushing through their veins. They feel like they're lower energy and tighter. We're just feeling our thinking. And the great news is, like I said, if we just let that thinking go, if we don't make a big deal of it or judge it, that tennis ball naturally floats up again. And we can go from feeling total anxiety to total calm and peace within a second. And that's huge for people without any doing on our part. So I have to stress that because some people say, okay, I get it, Ed. Yeah, I I get it, Ed. Now tell me how to do that. Well, that means (laughs) they're still kind of stuck. They don't get it. Hey, I get it, Ed. How do you make this tennis ball float? I just can't do it. I've been trying every way. Right? I'd love to highlight something you said a couple minutes ago, just kind of in passing, that I think is really critical for players to understand, and that is the nerves, the the tension, the uh, the feelings of anxiety are a human experience. It's not like yes. a good player or bad player or beginner player or advanced player, like like a some kind of level related thing. I wish players right. would pay more attention to. Uh, to post-match interviews with professional players because the best players in the world 
casually say how tight or nervous they were at the beginning of matches all the time at the end of matches that they win. And so uh, I think it's critical for amateur athletes to understand that it's not, it's not a problem. It's just a natural you know, byproduct of going out and competing in something that you really care about and you've invested a lot of time and, and energy into. That's right. And when you, when you were reading Barat's question, you were, he was thinking there's a problem. You were thinking, oh, man, right. I missed that feeling. Yeah, and I remember yeah. when, you know, Pete, I remember when Pete Sampras was interviewed after he retired, they said, what do you miss most about the pro tour and competing? He said, you know what? I, the thing I miss most is getting so nervous in a locker room before the match that I would throw up. <laughs> right. <laughs> I heard a, a quote him, just, the, just yesterday. That was normal. I heard a quote just yesterday from Bruce Springsteen. I don't know the, the actual quote. I, I need to look it up. Uh, but I just randomly heard it in a video I was watching on YouTube yesterday. And Bruce Springsteen was quoted as saying something along the lines of, a reporter asked him if he still got nervous before a concert, before going out onto the stage. And his reply right. was, if I ever stop getting nervous, then I'll retire. Because wow. whenever, w- yeah, whenever, whenever I'm not nervous anymore, then it just doesn't matter to me. That's right. hundred percent true. And that reminds me of when Frank Sinatra was interviewed uh, at the end of his career, when he was already, you know, a, a literal rock star, you know, somebody mm-hmm. said, um, Hey Frank, do you ever get nervous before you hit the stage? And Sinatra goes, let me tell you something. Every night before I go on stage, that little voice inside my head goes, do I still have it? Do I still have it? <laughs> Frank Sinatra, right? So I want so, to share with you a really quick uh, Bruce Springsteen story since you mentioned him. You know, yeah. uh, they were talking about him on the New York sports radio and somebody called up and said, you know, Bruce is, is just has amazing concerts every night. And I went backstage one, one year and somebody asked Bruce, how do you do it? Every night you give an amazing concert. And Bruce said, oh, that's easy. Two things. Number one, every night I tell myself that this is the most important concert of my career. <laughs> and number two, only rock and roll Hmm. so that's peak performance in a nutshell right bruce springsteen's effort was all out it still is but his attitude was a little loose a little relaxed so Hmm. can you say as a tennis player this is the most important match of my career and it's only tennis man if Hmm. you can have that balance i feel sorry for your opponents that's dangerous yeah (laughs) right all right, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. I want to try to get to a couple more questions here. Sure. This one comes to us from Lori, who wrote in and said, after winning the first set, it's so hard to avoid the second set slump. And she added, mm. hashtag, why? <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, what advice do you have for Lori? Yeah, I mean, that's a, I, I love the honesty in these questions, and that's where we can really help others, because I'm sure she's not the only one that has felt that. But again, that reminds me of this, you know, the labeling, right? The self-fulfilling prophecy. It's yeah, almost actually, like, you know, she, she would win the first set and then maybe lose the first game or the first two games. And then I guarantee you, Lori, you're thinking something like, here we go again, right? You know, so you're, you're creating patterns with that. Um, Absolutely. But then you're just focused on that. And then you increase the chances of it happening instead of saying, you know what, whatever, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I, I may have a slump. I may not. Absolutely. And actually, let me let me add to that uh, before you continue. Sorry, to, I should have done this from from the get go. Uh, on the on the sure. other side of the coin, Oscar wrote and said, "I'd like to know how to stop the drop of 
drop of performance after winning the first set. Uh, mm. and, and he's saying, I have played several matches this year and all of my wins were in three sets. And so same, right. same kind of pattern and, uh, <laughs> right. lost all, he said, I've lost all my matches in two sets, but I win my matches in, in three sets. I've yet to win a yeah. second set. So I guess my real question yeah. is how do I keep focus on my performance up in the second set? Yeah. And here's the thing with focus, right? I think a lot of coaches, parents, and athletes misunderstand focus. They're like, I need to stay more focused. My player needs to stay more focused. My child needs to stay more focused. Hmm. But in reality, we're always focused, but sometimes we're focused on the wrong thing, right? So if we're focused on our target, you know, we're good. But if we're focused on, oh man, this is another match where, you know, I, I, I lost the first set. Now I got to win in three again, or, oh, I'm a slow starter, right? Oh, look at that cute girl, you know, behind the fence <laughs> or, oh, maybe I should get a puppy. You know, <laughs> we have all these random focuses, Right. So if what we're focusing on is not benefiting us in the moment, it doesn't make sense to do it. And it's easy to reshift our focus once we realize it, you know, but a lot of times for us, it's just a habit. It's just conditioning. So that's we're right. all gonna, always going to lose focus at some point. But if we can recognize that, oh, that's not what I want to be focusing on. That's not helping us, right? Losing focus and focusing on the wrong thing is a disadvantage. You know, it's kind of like playing with one arm tied behind our back. You wouldn't do it. So, uh, long story short here for Lori and Oscar, it sounds like uh, avoid uh, the labeling uh, at all costs. And um, as far as like, oh, I'm a slow starter or I always have a slump or, or anything along the lines of uh, self-fulfilling prophecies. That's right. And this, this player that I worked with who said she was a slow starter, I said, okay, look, next match you play, you may have a thought of, you know, oh, maybe I'll have a slow start or here we go again. I said, you know, don't feed into that. Just play, you know, don't judge that thought and see what happens. See how long that thought lasts. Well, she called me up a week later. She's like, I just played the best match of my life. <laughs> She's like, I start, I started slow and I was like, you know, I don't need to go there. And then I just, just played. And she's like, now, now I'm good to go. So it can change very quickly, but the more we label ourselves and believe that this is how it is, how we are or how it is this season, then, you know, that's the wrong focus. So is the, the antidote to, to these problems essentially, I, I know how much you dislike uh, kind of popular traditional ways of phrases or right. words or ways of explaining things, but is uh, staying in the moment or staying present, is that uh, essentially what you're talking about? Uh, it is, but to me, staying in the moment and being present is a byproduct of understanding that, hey, our feelings come from what we're thinking and thinking mm. is always changing, right? There's nothing we need to do to have that tennis ball float back up. I think gotcha. a lot of times people hear, hear that staying in the moment and they're playing. They're like, oh, I need to stay in the moment. Ed, stay in the moment. Ian, stay in the moment, right? Well, that's focusing on telling yourself, to, you know, that's like a strategy, <laughs> right? Sure, sure. You'll naturally be in the moment when your mind is free. But like the great philosopher Yogi Berra once said, you can't think in a hit at the same time. A full mind is an empty bat. It's the same thing in tennis. A full mind is an empty racket. I like it. All right, let's uh, switch gears a little bit from Amadou. 
Amadou uh, Rodan and said, in matches, we all want to have our A game, but often you see the pro players talk about how satisfying it is when they find a way to win when they weren't playing their best. I understand the importance mm. of, of accepting your mistakes and not letting negative emotions linger, but are there any thoughts on how or whether your mental approach should shift in those matches where you're missing shots that you normally make? Mm, a lot of stuff going on there. Um, so read the first part again, because I had a thought sure. that escaped me. In matches, we all, we all want to have our A game, but often you see yep, pro players talk about how satisfying it is to win when, they, when they're not playing their best. Yes. So if I had a dollar for every athlete who told me that I need to have my A game when I play, <laughs> I would probably be retired. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a misconception of we need to have our A game to win, mm. which isn't true. I mean, how often do we have our A game? Ian, when you were competing, how often did you have your A game? How often were you 100? Uh, percent What are we? Do, uh, what are, are we by A game? Are we saying like I'm playing my best, basically? Basically. I mean, I don't know. Once a, <laughs> I don't know. Every you can count once them a on month one or hand. something. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So, so that's the point, right? We have this idea of we need to have our A game, which is is not going to happen very often. It's going to happen more often when you understand how the mind works and what we're talking about, but. It's not going to happen 100% of the time. In fact, a friend of mine used to pitch for the Yankees, and he told me something that I'll never forget. He said, Ed, some days you're only going to have 70%, but if you use 100% of that 70%, you can still win and kick butt. And I love that because then, you know, the athletes that I tell that to, they're like, oh, like I could feel them uh, feel lighter and the weight's off their shoulders because they're like, oh, I don't need to be 100%. I don't need to have my A game. Great. And, and guess what? As a byproduct, because they stop worrying about their A-game, they have their A-game more often. It's crazy. Hmm. When I was at the Rio Olympics, so many Olympians were coming up to me going, Ed, this is Rio. This is the Olympics. Now I got to make myself perform great. <laughs> well, you didn't do that leading up to the Olympics to qualify. Why the heck are you doing it now? You're going to run slower. You're going to jump, you know, shorter. It's funny how we, how we somehow place that expectation on ourselves. I, it would be nice if there was more kind of open conversation or communication uh, among players and coaches about it because for some reason we seem to place that pressure on ourselves that any time we compete and it, it quote, counts, that we need mm-hmm. to come to play with everything we've, you know, the best of everything that we possibly have. That's right. I remember working with a junior player, and uh, this was before I started working with him. He started playing tennis, loved the game, He's like, I'm going to play some USDA tournaments. And uh, he got a sectional ranking pretty quickly. Hmm. Unfortunately, once he got the ranking, his mindset (laughs) shifted to, oh, man, i got to protect my ranking. I don't want to lose this sectional ranking. Right, right. (laughs) Well, guess what? He lost his sectional ranking. It dropped. And then he started working with me and realized that it was totally a shift in focus. Right? He focused from – he went from just – enjoying the game and playing and going for it to protecting and forcing and making it happen. Well, you know, that didn't work. So fortunately he got his sectional ranking back, went on to play number one for his high school. Now he's playing college tennis. Awesome. Happy ending. (laughs) Would you, would you categorize that as essentially, in a again, like kind of uh, uh, industry talk, uh, being results focused versus process or being more uh, uh, present, you know, present focused? Totally. Totally. And look, we, we, we all get to that point 
sometimes, right? We all want results. You know, a lot of people listening to this are competitive. I know I am. You know, my sure. grandmother lived to almost 104. And if she wanted to race me down the street, you better believe I'd try to beat her, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but as competitive as I am, I also know that, hey, I'm not going to win every time. And that's okay. And because I have that attitude, I win more. Hmm. I don't, I don't right. look as, at winning as right. you know, a reflection of my, my skill or me as a person. I, I mean, look, if, if Federer is not going to win every match, nobody else is going to. Hmm. But I guarantee you he has a different reaction. He knows Absolutely. it's part of the game. All right, let's uh, shift gears a bit. I've got two questions, and Ed, I, th- I think you've got about like five, five or ten minutes or so at the most, right? Just want to be uh, re- yep. respectful of your time here. Okay. Uh, two you. questions about uh, partner relationships. Uh, one mm-hmm. pretty quick here from Emily. How do you tune out a negative doubles partner and or one who thinks they make no mistakes and likes to tell you what to do? And then uh, <laughs> from, <laughs> from Linda... What about a partner's mental breakdown? I'm pretty mentally steady on the court, but play with a few people who get really tight when losing uh, or even just get one game behind. I've done the positive language thing. We've got this, etc. I've tried the old high five. Uh, quiet joke at the expense of opponents helps briefly. Then just dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we deal with negative and or like bossy... Uh, partners who are trying to, to yeah. take control of the match or they're just, they've got no confidence. Definitely. Great, great questions. Um, and you know, very common to be honest with you, um, yeah. at all different levels. So I have two thoughts on that. The first thought is, remember how I said our experience comes from our state of mind in the moment, our thinking in the moment. So if we're in a low state of mind, uh, a partner freaking out is a problem from sure. a high state of mind. A partner freaking out is, hey, you know what? I've been there, man. I can relate to that. I feel bad. You know what? Let's, let's just have fun. It's not a big deal. It's just tennis, right? So that's my first thought, right? So it's really not the partner. That's outside of us. That's external. And now we know that nothing outside of us can affect how we feel on the inside. Only our thinking in the moment can do that. So that's number one. Um, number two, when we freak out, when our partner is freaking out, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not beneficial, right? It, it's going to make them freak out more. But if we know that that's part of the game and, and we stay calm, then it's almost like we're a mirror reflecting what they're giving us. And then they realize how ridiculous they're being. Hmm. You see what I mean? So, yeah. so I think that's huge, right? I mean, that's the closest I'm going to get to giving you a strategy, <laughs> you know, just, just play, just, you know, if, if it occurs to you in the moment to say something funny, cool, that may work, right? If it occurs to you in the moment to just leave them alone and let them go through it on their own, cool, that may work. If it occurs to you to just give them a high five, cool, that may work. But there's no prescription. There's no cookie cutter mm-hmm. uh, technique that you can do that will work every time because yeah. that's just guessing what it's gonna, what's going to happen. But if you're present, if you're in the moment, you'll, you'll know what to do and what to say. And sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's, you know, give them a high five. Sometimes it's saying, hey, I played like that last week. It's not a big deal, right? Let's have some fun. Let's get some, let's burn some calories, whatever it may be. Yeah, I I think that's such important advice. And in particular, just the fact that every person is going to react completely differently to whatever the, quote, strategy or formula is that you try to apply to them. I mean, we're talking about human beings. They have 
uh, when they're in a negative space mentally are going to respond completely differently to different types of approaches. And so, yeah, I, I think that's extremely just purely from like a practical psychological standpoint, uh, just a really, really good uh, advice to not try to apply some kind of fix because not only might it backfire because um, you're trying to force some kind of uh, strategy, but more than likely your partner's going to sense that you're trying to fix them in, uh, in the first place. And a lot of times <laughs> yeah, people and then don't they're appreciate be frustrated that, that you're trying to fix them. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and the funny thing is like so many doubles players, when their partner is freaking out and negative, it's almost like they're catching their feelings, you know, like you can catch colds from germs, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's a funny visual to see a tennis player catch, you know, their doubles feelings. You know, mm. it doesn't have to be that way. It's independent. It's very contagious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, let's, it's um, not like you're touching a doorknob okay. in the winter. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's cover one more here. Ed. This is from Irvin, who wrote and said, what should your thought process be on a critical point? For example, how to make your second serve on a big point. Uh, for example, uh, what to be thinking besides don't double fault, don't double fault. Uh, another one would be how to maintain focus on every point instead of thinking about the outcome of the match. So Irvin basically wants to know, A, what's, what's the thought strategy for peak performance? And, uh, and B, how do we <clears throat> maintain that peak performance point after point after point? So number one, you know what my answer is going to be, Ian, right? The process <laughs> is nothing. How do I know? <laughs> There's, there is no process. Um, and, and it reminds me, you know, my friend once drove Boris Becker to the airport <laughs> and I used to love watching Boris Becker and his huge serve. And so my friend goes, Hey, Boris, I got a question for you. It's the finals of Wimbledon, your serve break point, second serve. What's going on in your head? Okay. You know what Boris Becker said? He looked at my friend and he goes, nothing. I just go for it. <laughs> right so he he just played he just hit it he just picked his target that's it he simplified it he didn't say okay now i need to tell myself boris you can really get the second serve in you're great you've been really training hard and no he just went for it i think it's, and that it's reminds almost kind of it's kind of comical in thinking about it that way because it, it just assumes that Boris has been like saving something special, you know, like, oh, he's going to wait until break point down second serve to <laughs> really right. use his That's real right. serve. Yeah. Like, yeah, like he'd yeah. be, be saving or, or, it. <laughs> or really use his mental technique when right, he needs right, right. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, he wouldn't have used it the rest of the match. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, it, it also reminds me of, I was with Gil Ray's Agassiz fitness trainer and friend, um, at the U S open one year. And we were talking about the mental game and talking about Agassi and his mental game. And, uh, I'll never forget, you know, Gil said to me, he's like, you know, when, when Agassi was playing, he played every point, like it was match point. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the match, he looked up at the scoreboard to see if he won or lost. Awesome. So I love that, you know, and, and I don't know if that's a hundred percent true. Um, but you get the idea of how he played every point and went for it. Sure. Love it. Well, Ed, it's been amazing 
talking with you as always. Love uh, discussing these topics. Uh, can you please let everybody know wh- where's the best place to connect with you or uh, learn more about what you do? Where, where, where's the best place for everybody to, to check you out? Sure. Um, so the best place is my website, edsang.com, E-D-T-S-E-N-G.com. And I'll give you guys my email as well. It's ed at edsang.com. And Ian doesn't know this, but uh, let's, let's do a little giveaway, shall we? Um, I have an audio CD that's part of my program for my one-on-one clients, but um, let's, uh, let's give away five audio CDs. It's just a digital, so I can send you a link. But uh, how's that sound to you, Ian? Yeah, absolutely. How do people get it? Uh, so let's um, let's think of a little contest. Maybe uh, you want to do maybe the first five people that email me? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, so let's do that, and then I will send them a copy of uh, the audio program as a, as a thank you for listening and being open to, to this new paradigm that, you know, I think is it's really cutting edge and you'll see more and more start people start to teach uh, this paradigm in the next five, 10, 15 years. Good stuff. Cause if you're the, listening, cause right, the goal uh, is go to, cause, sorry, cause the goal is to have stuff, something sustainable, you know, and mm-hmm. I think this is it. I agree. If you're listening right now and everything has just kind of seemed a little too simple or, or a little, uh, too, uh, I don't want to say easy because like the, the concepts are simple, but, but, uh, well, I know, I know where you're going to go with this, Ed. Uh, I know it can't, <laughs> it can be easy there. I, I know you've had plenty of experiences with players who, who just get it in an instant and all of a sudden everything changes for them. But let me encourage those of you who are maybe skeptical of that to, to go back and listen through again and, and just give it some time to, to, uh, percolate. And it's something that for me personally, I was so kind of rigid in my thinking years and years ago when Ed and I first started doing podcasts together, making content together. It took me a while to leave that kind of traditional uh, process-based way of of thinking. So I just want to encourage everybody because, to give it a, you give it a chance. Because you were trying to get it. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was trying to for, right. I was trying to come up just like everybody else with like the secret formula that just A That's plus right. B equals C. And uh, it was just much more simple than that. So, uh, Ed, Definitely. thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for uh, for your insights and for helping the the fans of Essential Tennis. I, we all appreciate it tremendously. Definitely shoot Ed an email to ed at edsang.com. And again, that's T-S-E-N-G. And hopefully you were one of those lucky first five. Ed, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you as always. Thank you. My pleasure, Ian. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.